My almost two and a half year old is keeping me up literally and figuratively. Since transitioning to a big boy bed back in December 2021, he wakes up multiple times during the night screaming and crying and also wakes up to start his mornings as early as 4am. Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Pod. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every week I will bring you conversations that aim to smash the stigma on struggles we face as parents. This segment is The Vault, where we ask you, our community, what is keeping you up at night? Your messages remain anonymous, they stay in the vault. To submit your confession, click on the link in the show notes. Jen, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you up with us again. Thank you so much for having me for the second time. Nice to be back. Yeah. It's so good. So for those listening, Jen is the Director of Sleep Thrive Grow, a sleep consultant. Uh, And you've had your business now for what, about two and a half years? Yeah, yeah. It's it's suddenly become a full-time gig now and, you know, really loving it. It's just you know, definitely a passion of mine working and supporting families. So yeah, I'm just riding this wave now and can actually say, oh my gosh, I'm a business owner, which is so crazy. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just really nice to be able to offer the support out there. Oh, it's so amazing. And I think I was saying to you earlier that I've just loved to wa- loved watching your growth. So we obviously had you on, and I looked it up, we had you on at episode 33. Um, so for those listening, if you want to hear more about Jen's personal story, please go to that episode. But it's just been so fantastic to sort of watch you, you know, even in that conversation, you were like, oh, you know, I'm like, start, you know, you started obviously, yeah. but it's still the earlier stages of business. And now it's like amaz- amazing to see the growth. Um, so it's been really, really cool to watch your journey. Yeah. Um, and you were the first person that came to mind when we got some call, in, well, some confessions essentially um, for this vault segment around sleep. And I was like, I need Jen on. We need to get her expertise. <laughs> awesome. so, thank you for agreeing to come oh, on. Pleasure, pleasure. No, more than happy to. <laughs> so what we might do is we'll cut to the first confession mm-hmm. regarding uh, the toddler sleep. My almost two and a half year old is keeping me up literally and figuratively. Since transitioning to a big boy bed back in December 2021, he wakes up multiple times during the night screaming and crying and also wakes up to start his mornings as early as 4am. Melatonin has helped to get him to sleep at night but doesn't stop the multiple wake-ups and early starts. We've been on antihistamine for about a week now and it was helping him sleep through and wake at a decent hour. However, the last few nights it hasn't worked, so now we're back to the drawing board. One can only hope that our paediatrician has a solution. This said almost two-and-a-half-year-old also refuses to sit in his car seat and has figured out how to loosen the car straps by using the lever which is a major concern as we're constantly having to stop the car to tighten the straps. The Houdini strap also doesn't work because he has figured out how to get his arms out. All the while, we also have a four-month-old who's the most chilled-out baby. So there you have it. I stay awake at night trying to think of ways to get my toddler to stay asleep and not wake up when it's still dark outside. 
Okay, Jen. So interesting one. And I feel like I can so relate. I mean, I've got a two and three year old and the sleep component is really tricky. And I think it even became more tricky when we sort of migrated to the toddler bed and all of a sudden they are mobile and have all of this freedom. So yeah. <laughs> it's like who invented this? Can't we just keep them in cots for like hours? I know. I know. <laughs> well, talking about that anyway, it's, you know, it's one of those mm. things that often as parents, we go through and we're like, okay, yep, now it's time for a bed. But sometimes it's actually, you can keep the cot for longer than maybe some people are choosing to, especially if you are having sleep problems before, the bed's unlikely to fix those. So if you're experiencing night waking and then you go to a bed, it usually just gets worse because they are mobile. So it is definitely something to be mindful of with the cot to bed Mm -hmm. transition is that you can, you know, maybe it's not until three, three and a half that you're looking at transitioning, um, depending on where they are um, and how their sleep's going. And I suppose as well, I mean, we had instances where the little one wanted to climb out of the cot yes. so it starts becoming unsafe. Yeah, and absolutely. That's, you know, that's one of the mm. biggest things um, is obviously when there's a safety issue around being in the cot and they're going to hurt themselves, yeah. sometimes we're even though they may not be sleeping that great or waking still quite frequently, we're almost forced to provide that next step because their safety becomes the priority. Um, So, yeah, there is a little hack that it doesn't work for every cot, but you can actually try and lower the base so that the mattress is almost on the floor level and the base is on the floor level and it creates a bit more height with the bars. But you have to be mindful of whether any gaps are going to be there where they could get their hands under. So a few cots do it, not every cot, but it is, it can kind of create a bit of a savior and a, give you another six months up your sleeve sometimes. That's interesting. Mm. Right. So it's sort of potentially investigating those cot options too. Yeah. Um, what do we, so I know for me, we've, I've, my three-year-old is in the toddler bed um, and it's kind of becomes almost like a habit where he, you know, good night, I say good night, close the door, yeah. you know, within 30 seconds, he's out. Oh, mum, oh, you didn't give me a kiss. All right, go back yeah. in. All right, now, then he's out. Oh, oh my finger hurts. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like constantly and it's just so frustrating because you're, you're at the end of your yes. day all you want to do is just chill out on the couch and like be like by yourself mm-hmm. or spend a bit of time with your partner or whatever that looks like and you're going in and out so many times you know why do kids do this and how can we sort of help um that transition and make it a little bit easier on them and us? absolutely so I think it's really important to understand that our children are not mini adults um they're also just developmentally in a whole different place you know they're all about learning cause and effect, learning how their parents will respond to if they do this, what what can happen in that instance, you know, testing the boundaries is, it's literally, it's not a toddler being annoying, it's actually part of their development. And when we start to see that, okay, a lot of this is down to them not being annoying, is actually that they just can't resist that. And you know, really as well, we don't see impulse control with toddlers developing until two and a half, three years of age. They may be able to resist some urges that they have at that point. Um, But it really depends on where your toddler is in their development too, you know. So you can say, okay, around three years, they should have some impulse control. But still, there's a lot of toddlers that don't and they really struggle. You know, there's that... um, there's that little experiment, you know, how you put like a chocolate cake in front of a kid and walk away and say, don't eat that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you watch that experiment, there's lots of 
of toddlers that can resist that urge, that impulse to take that cake. And there's some that just cannot, like they just have to eat it. So I think when we start to learn, you know, if you talk about your kids or imagine that scenario, do any of your kids, would you say, oh my gosh, he would just smash that cake when I was away. He would definitely try to test that. Or, you know, would you have this child that sits back and goes, no, I've, you know, two of mine would definitely wait. One of mine, absolutely not. She could not resist the urge at all. So, you know, and she's five now. So I think um, understanding the development is huge and it does make us hopefully just reduces some that some of that frustration that this isn't going to be forever. Um, you know, there's also fears that can develop at that age. So some of it can be that fear of separation from a parent. That's, you know, their imagination really kicks in around two and a half, three years of age. So before then, then, you know, there wouldn't be a fear of the dark, but now potentially that's something. And they're really understanding that everyone, when they go to bed, things are happening on the outside. You aren't going to bed. Like there's, you know, that FOMO is huge. Like there's so many things development wise. Um, And then another big thing we often miss because we're busy parents is that connection factor. You know, they really need that one-on-one connection from us. And some days we always struggle, you know, no one's perfect. And we've gone about our day, we've got home and we're just going through what we need to do, dinner, bath, you know, get it all done. And oh my gosh, can't wait to sit down. Um, But sometimes we forget our little people that actually are seeking that one-on-one And actually, it's amazing what 10 minutes, one-on-one, solely engaging, eye contact, loving connection before bed can sometimes reduce some of those constant up and down because they felt that connection right before bed. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really, when you take a step back and maybe consider the development or behavior behind why, um, sometimes it can just make it a little bit easier. And I think that's such a good point you raised there around that connection piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even notice if I, doesn't matter how frustrated I am, if I, if little Noah's come out of the room and it's been the third time yeah. now, and at this point I'm like, I've been nice the last two times, <laughs> now I'm over yeah. it. And I'll be like, get in bed and he'll hear my tone. Yes. Then I almost am guaranteed as I walk out that door that he's definitely going to come back yeah. out. And often he'll be like, mum, be happy with me, mum. Yeah. And it's like, I, it's just because I couldn't contain my yeah. So then I have to grit my teeth, walk back in and be like, I am happy, darling, (laughs) cuddle, kiss. And then if I do that and leave him, I'm a lot more likely, it's a lot more likely that he will stay asleep. So is that sort of that connection piece as well as allowing time between the two of you, but also leaving them in a good sort of emotional sort of state, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is, you know, it's, you need to have boundaries, right? So it's, you know, Um, sometimes we can feel bad about certain boundaries that we uphold, but toddlers do need to have boundaries, but you can have so much flexibility within them. So your boundary might be that it's um, bedtime and you're to stay in your bed when it's bedtime, but within up until then, they can choose what pyjamas they wear. They can choose which story they read. So they've got some control, but your one set boundary that you're not going to budge on is like, no, it's bed is bed, like it's, this is it. Mm. Um, you know, if we can provide those boundaries and maintain them with that sort of like love and confidence, calmness, kindness, I think all of those four things, it generally will get a better result. Whereas if we're sort of, 
you know, and again, we're only human, right? There's, I don't think there's a parent out there that hasn't lost their cool or just gone, oh my gosh, like that, you know, you're not, you don't have to be perfect, but if we can try to, you know, do better next time and be like, okay, actually I saw that that didn't work. All right. I'm going to, how can I prepare myself leading up to bedtime that, you know, almost managing your expectations that I can expect a few visits or a few pop outs. How am I going to, you know, to maintain this, this calmness and kindness that I know my toddler needs in that moment. Um, so I think, yeah, preparing as a parent, um, is going to really help you, you know, keep that consistent boundary and also Mm. display it to your toddler the way you want it to come across as well. Yeah, that's so true. And I think I've been doing that instinctively now. Yeah. Like that's it. He will wake up several times. So this is what it is and keep the voice calm, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But yeah, it's certainly not easy. I want to talk about when you're experiencing really tough times with them staying mm. in bed. So for example, we just came back a few weeks ago from Greece. The jet lag was a oh, nightmare gosh, and he got to the point where honestly, he was up every other minute of the yeah. night. It was a nightmare. I went to the GP and I said, look, what do we do? Cause I just, I'm becoming a crazy person. Mm. She, we, she gave me me a script to go to a compound pharmacy and get melatonin. Mm-hmm. So, I, and what I found with melatonin, and obviously you're only meant to use it, I think three to five nights is what the pharmacist has told me. We used it for three. It helped get him to sleep mm. more easily. It doesn't keep them asleep though. That's what I realized. Yeah. Like, what do I need to give them to keep them asleep? But yeah, like it certainly helps to, to put them asleep. And it did help with getting him back into his routine. Yeah. I was curious your thoughts on, you know, melatonin mm-hmm. and anything else that could potentially support a parent if they're really struggling? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, in your circumstance, you, you went away and jet lag was just playing havoc with his sleep cycles and you just needed something and to get him back on track. And that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And I think it's, Mm. you know, knowing that we have these potential tools as parents to help us in situations like that. Um, I think a lot of the time it's, diving in a little bit deeper and like we mentioned before about the development and behavior like is there Mm. something going on or you know has something changed in their routine can we put it down to anything is it that they have just transitioned into a bed and it's just new and this up and down is a phase we've got to ride out so I think rather than kind of just going cool let's just get melatonin to sort the problem out let's see Mm. if we can work and delve in on you know managing that behavior or giving them some tools and or getting tools ourselves as parents to manage and guide that so role play is really effective for toddlers I love role play you know it's it also brings out the kid in you as well but you know I love running through like a bedtime routine with a toddler because sometimes we're again expecting them to stay in their bed but have we told them what our expectations are have we explained to them communicated to them what we're looking for like or are we just going oh why are they getting out of bed so talking to them about your expectations during the day so it's not right before they're going to bed it's like you've you've starting to plant the seeds throughout their day um talking them through a bedtime routine um so even using as i said role play like a teddy and making up a mock bed on the floor in their room and say and practicing and doing that with them so you know this can be done with two year olds as well not you know not just those older toddlers um 
but you can like tuck Teddy in and say, okay, let's, let's um, turn the light off. Let's see if Teddy stays in his bed all night, you know, go out of the room and then go, okay, let's, it's morning time. Let's check on Teddy. And we can start to look back and go, wow, Teddy stayed in his bed all night. What a clever Teddy. Do you think you could do that? I think you could, you know, so it's like not, it's building up some really nice momentum and sometimes you can leave that teddy there and almost plant the seed to be like, you know, in the night, if you wake up, if you see Teddy still in his bed, it must be still nighttime. And, you know, again, it's just, sometimes it's so nice to get, you know, with a lot of us, we find it difficult to connect to child play. Um, but it's something that is going to benefit them. Like we're, we're kind of creating that scene and we may find it a bit easier to, connect with them that way so it's you know it's really good and you know in the morning you can give them a cuddle give teddy a cuddle like oh gosh look at you two and it's you know they're not seeing teddy as a teddy they're seeing teddy as like another little friend in their room so so when we start to lay down those foundations I think some of that can really help. Also our expectations that if they do get up in the night what's going to happen? What are you going to do? So um you know, if we're having too many big conversations with our toddlers in the middle of the night, that's a great incentive to get up, you know, whether it's good, bad or ugly, they, mm-hmm. they're they not worried about that. They're just like, I get to see my parents, you know, this is, this is all good. So I think mm-hmm. it's explaining to them um, before. So, you know, if you do wake up in the night, mummy will be taking you straight back to bed. I'm not going to be talking to you because it's sleep time and we all need our rest. Um, so it's really, really kind of setting those those boundaries of what you're going to do and how it's going to roll when they do wake up. Um, yeah. And then another big thing when they do, if they have woken up in the night, not kind of focusing on the negative and being like, oh, you woke up four times last night, I'm so over it, or, you know, going along that track, it's yeah. it's really trying to maybe word it in a way that, oh, you only woke up twice last night. I think you're so close to being able to do this. Let's see what happens tonight, um, you know, and then leaving it, just dropping the subject, reminding yeah. them again during the day your expectations, you know, and then mm. once they've had a bit of familiarity, you can say it just before bed. So what were you, what, what are we going to do overnight? What's our expectations? And they can, they might be able to repeat those back to you and say, stay in my bed and like, yeah, that's really good. Let's see how we go. Um, yeah. And it's just sometimes these little planting seeds and these little remembering to, to actually feed the positive, um, and not focus on the negative. I think it's really difficult sometimes as parents, it's naturally when we're overwhelmed, go to that critical phase of, you know, state and we all do it. Um, you know, I'll catch myself sometimes and think, oh, my God, I said that so – I just was focusing on what they didn't do and, you know, yes. and it's – and you sort of kick yourself after um, for it. But it's, mm-hmm. again, I think if you can start by even getting those tools to begin to want to change or how you, you use your language, that's – you're already setting yourself up in a better way. Yeah, I love that. And it, it reinforcing sort of the, 
the good behaviour. I we actually ended up doing a little sticker board. Yeah. And it was like you know if you get yeah. two, if you only wake up twice, you get a smaller sticker. But if you wake up once, a little bit bigger. And if you don't wake up at all, then you get X. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of reinforcing that good behaviour. And um, I the other thing that came to mind as you were talking was we have like Sam the sheep. Yeah, like this love little, Sam the sheep. The light. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of red when it's for those who don't know a little sheep with a little clock on it, and it turns red when it's nighttime, mm. and then yellow when it's almost time to wake up and then green when it's time to wake up. And that, we took that overseas with us yeah. too because they know Sam the sheep does not lie. Yeah. <laughs> they, have to, they have to go with Sam the sheep. So, you know, there are little tools like that. And I was curious as to whether you sort of endorse those those little night lights and things like that too. Yeah, I do, I do love grow clocks. I think they can work really well. Um, the time, And Sam the sheep is a good one because for all those younger toddlers um, that aren't necessarily, you know, we have other grow clocks that kind of count back the stars and things like that. Whereas okay. Sam the sheep's got the eyes shut and the eyes open. Like it's yes. a really yes. easy visual um, connection to when it's sleep time. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, but also I find the parents that have said to me, oh, grow clocks don't work or this doesn't work. Generally what we've done is maybe set the expectations too high. So we've, you know, say if our, our kids are getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning, we've gone, okay, 6 a.m. would be great. Let's set the clock to 6 a.m. And that's just initially going to be so unachievable for your toddler to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an hour where they're normally getting up at five to have to follow this rule. And likely you're going to fail. They're going to lose interest and it's just not going to work. So you're better off mm-hmm. as much as it will kill you um, to actually set the clock for 5 a.m. And them get a few days where they're like, oh my gosh, I've done it. Like, and getting that positive reinforcement, then you can add, you know, three days later, add another 10, 15 minutes onto that Mm -hmm. and keep working towards that goal. You're more likely to get success with a grow clock that way than, than Mm -hmm. again, just hoping for the best and going, okay, I'm setting it to six. And I, I did that. I did that with my son. Like I, before I learned um, or did any extra studies with sleep, I did the same thing and thought, yep, it's not going to work. Um, it didn't work mm. purely because I'd not learnt how to implement it effectively. That's such a good tip. I love that. Um, changing tact a little on the final comment made in this call mm-hmm. is confession. Um, I've never heard of this before and I feel for this caller, their little child undoing their cast, their own seat belt in the car. Have you ever come across this with all of the clients that you've been working with? Oh, that must be so scary. Like really, really tricky. I I know there's certain gadgets you can buy that may help with that. I haven't actually experienced Mm. it myself as a parent or heard a client that has. Okay. Um, but mm. you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. It doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> yeah. it could happen, you know, those little fingers can be, yeah. So, um, and it's again, once they've done it, it's really hard, like in, to wear off that habit. It's just like, this is great. Yes. You know, the reaction I get of course, <laughs> um, is amazing. Like I get the mum to stop mm. the car, like this, everything happened. Like this is fantastic. <laughs> um, so you can see why there's just no, there would be zero impulse control on how to like, be like, I'm okay with this now. I'm going to press this button constantly. Um, so yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, in that sense, really trying to look into some kind of, yeah, supported device, which I, and yes. I'm sure the internet is filled with little tricks and 
um, yeah. it's got it's not going to be just that one parent that's that's gone through. No, but um, that's so true. We went through the experience of our little ones loving to open the door, and that was totally that the car door. Um, but that was totally fine because you could lock it, and that's all yeah. good. But we were in the cab on the way to the airport like a month ago. We were in the taxi. I hadn't even thought. I had the little one on my lap, and he we're on the, on the freeway, and he goes to reach for the car no. door, and it becomes a jar. And I went, "Oh my god!" So I've like shut it quickly, and the cab driver's like, "What just happened?" I'm like, "Ah, never mind." I'm like holding it my toddler's hand together like don't touch the yeah. door but it's just amazing what they do and what they're used to trying yeah, right 100%. so yeah I feel for this person but yeah. as you said uh, internet will be your best friend yeah. um, I'd like to go to recording number two yeah. where we're talking more about intolerances mm-hmm. and the impact on yeah. sleep something that had been keeping me up at night until recently was my four-month-old Bob being super unsettled all the time as first-time parents, we obviously had nothing to compare it to. And when people, doctors, maternal health nurses all say that it's normal for babies to cry all the time, especially in the evenings, we figured that must be the case. We were told the crying would slowly start to reduce, which it never did, until finally it was diagnosed that our baby has an intolerance to dairy and soy. It took cutting those things out of my diet for four weeks to confirm. Prior to this, we had pretty much thought we had the most unhappy baby in the world. He would scream for hours on end and always had to be carried, Now we know that it was because he was so uncomfortable all the time. One of the key things we've learned from that is if you have a feeling that something isn't right, you just need to persevere until you get an answer or find a solution. We were told his crying was perfectly normal multiple times, even when it seemed quite extreme to us. We seriously thought we were going crazy, but once diagnosed, we were able to move forward and now we have a much happier baby. Okay, so this one was an interesting one. And the reason why I thought I'd have a quick chat to you about it, Jen, is I was just curious as to whether you're noticing people coming to you for sleep guidance and ultimately you're realising that it's actually a dietary issue that is impacting their sleep too. Talk to me about your experience with this. Yeah, so definitely I work with a lot of babies that may have like sensitivities and intolerances. 100% if, if things aren't adding up or there's, you know, they seem to say they're really unsettled or they're vomiting a lot or, you know, just really uncomfortable. I'm always 100% first to say, just to see what path they've already gone down. Like, have you spoken to a GP about this? If you're concerned, have you, you know, delved in a little deeper? Um, So often if they haven't, I will say, look, it may be worth talking to your GP first, just making sure there's nothing underlying. Um, And then we can certainly work together. I mean, Things like reflux as well. So there'll obviously be a mixture of babies that are on medications for reflux or depending on the severity, um, it will be managed in other ways and forms, like certain things like holding upright after feeding and, you know, they, you know, having some information around that. Um, I do find, and a big thing is overtiredness um, does kind of exacerbate all those symptoms as well. So, um, you know, naturally when we're overtired, our bodies, we're releasing a lot more cortisol and this can kind of like almost tense up just like we are as adults when we're stressed um you know we our digestion doesn't always work so efficiently and things like that the same with kids when they're overtired it creates a stress response on their body so often i'll find um you know it's definitely not we can't resolve sleep problems when they're going through certain things because often when we start to look at the overtiredness and combat that, some of these symptoms really reduce naturally um, based on that they're just more relaxed, they're not 
tired and stressed. So, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's um, things to look out for if you're, you're thinking that your children are suffering from some intolerances or, you know, some kind of sensitivities is things like excessive wind, um, you know, that unexplained unsettledness where mum's just feeling something isn't quite right. That's, you know, it's definitely that gut feeling. Um, Bowel changes, obviously, if you're just noticing differences or things you're not sure about in regards to the bowel motions. And sometimes we just don't know what it's supposed to look like. So definitely um, learning about that, vomiting or discomfort after feeding. Um, Often if there is some kind of intolerances and sensitivities, ultimately the body is, is, there's an inflammatory response there. So what can what we can get out of that is we might see eczema or ear, nose and throat problems or hives or rashes. So, you know, the intolerances in the gut is actually coming out in other forms. Um, So it's always, you know, definitely worth checking if you're sort of noticing things in regards to your baby's skin or something like that. Mm, That's interesting. There's all such great points. And I think what I'm hearing is, and even from this caller, there was a, she had a gut instinct that something wasn't right. Then that was impacting the sleep, uh, you know, and it's kind of like, well, is it just, is, is it just a, a baby that yeah. just doesn't know how to settle yet? And that's the hardest part, I think, when they're babies too. It's not like you've got a basis no. to work from. You're kind of just like they were born this way. Is this normal? And particularly, let's say it's their first child, yes. even more difficult. So I guess, you know, if someone's listening going, look, yeah, I feel like deep down something's not quite right, but maybe my baby's just a bad sleeper mm. it, and, and that it's because they haven't slept in so long that maybe that's all it is. I guess what I'm hearing from you is look, explore all options Definitely. and just, you know, tick tick it off with the GP, make sure there's nothing underlying that you might be missing as well. It may not be as simple as, oh, they just don't know how to sleep. Yeah. Right. Is, is that essentially your guidance around 100%, that? 100%. And I think, you know, ultimately, I mean, it's, like the sleep education we get as new parents is very minimal. I mean, a lot, it's a lot on feeding focus, which really, you know, I'm, I'm happy it goes feeding then sleep if that's the way it's going to go, because we do definitely want to make sure that they're getting all that nutritional needs, that the feeding is going well so they can gain weight and start to thrive. So I think if you're, you know, if you're noticing any feeding issues or um, generally that's where you're likely going to see some of the main intolerances is in regards to how they're feeding um, or or yeah. post-feeding or, or symptoms in regards to that. Get that all checked out. You know, there's so many, like, I look, look back and there's so many things I would have done differently with my second with, you know, I really think she did have a lip tie, for example, and I got told from the hospital that she was fine. And being a second time mama, I actually was in the under the impression, like I should know all this and this is fine. Um, but I really wished I'd listened to my gut more and gone, do you know what? This is really, I've breastfed so well with my son. This is, you know, this isn't going well. Um, I really wished I'd kind of like just listened to my inner self and gone, just ask for help. Just then no one's going to, you know, it's finding the right people. Right. And I, and I know from this caller, like she felt like she was fobbed off or, you know, um, and it is, it does put that challenge for us as parents because we are 
in a very, very out of our depths and not sure what's right or wrong. And, but I do, I do definitely encourage parents. And I think it's getting better that we're like, no, you, you like, you have the right to talk to two or three people if you need to find that right one. And yeah, look down those avenues, talk to friends, who have they worked, who have they gone to, you know, really just t- kind of do your research on who you meet. So fingers crossed, you get a better experience and some, yes. and get heard from someone um, and have, avoid all these practitioners that maybe aren't sort of listening to you or just kind of putting you in a first mum category and then going, oh, she's overreacting, you know? Yes, so yeah, hard, 100%. It's so hard, honestly. And as I said, if, if it's your first, it's just, yeah, it's really tough. Um, all right. So I'd like to cut to the third caller. Some of the struggles we faced with our newborn child was just having a very unsettled baby and having them being put to sleep. Sometimes you we were up there rocking them and shushing them for close to an hour only to put them down and then to wake right up again, which was extremely frustrating. This process went on for a good three months which was quite testing on my mental health. But safe to say that he's in a very good sleep routine now and things are better than ever. So that was a a really interesting confession from a dad, nice and brief, but I think a a really good message there that I'd like to delve into with you around our mental health as parents and, you know, particularly the sleep. That, for me, that dictated everything when it came to how my mental health then was. You're not sleeping and I was literally like dragon mum, right? So it's, um, I'd love to hear from you because, I mean, you see people day in, day out, my baby, it's not sleeping, therefore I'm not sleeping and I'm just a mess and everyone's a mess, what guidance, other than the techniques and the tools that you would provide to the parents to support their children, what things would you suggest we do as parents to support ourselves? Yeah, I think it does come down to our own sleep sleep hygiene as well because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we sometimes try and stick to old habits like pre-kids, which we could be staying up till midnight or having a glass of wine every night and then we chuck in a baby that's not sleeping and we're sort of set in these old habits that we're doing and you it's just going to send you down an even darker path um Mm -hmm. so it's it's so hard though isn't it like you try and find that balance between okay it's my time now and um you know now the child's in bed for however long I just want to make the most Mm -hmm. of it um but yeah it comes down to really the simple things of you know trying to look after you um finding some time to, you know, get out, have some fresh air, um, you know, maybe it's some relaxation type of exercises. I always suggest to my parents that I work with, you know, if your baby's crying or unsettled, just take a minute and take like three deep breaths because if you go in there with that energy, that anxiety, that stress, your baby will feel that tenfold and you're likely going to end up just having a longer, harder settle rather than Mm. if you try and center yourself before, um, sometimes the outcome is a lot calmer and it's the baby starts to co-regulate that from you. So, um, yeah. And I think where you can get support, if you've got the support, I know there's lots of families I work with have like FIFO husbands and it's really difficult but if you've got like a you know a friend even or a or a pair or a grandparent that can come in and you know take some of the load off or 
you know, gosh, hire, like if you can get someone to do some of the ch- basic chores in your house, if you have that as an option, anything you can do um, is going to definitely help you, you know, in that process of managing your mental health amongst sleep deprivation. Mm, it's so hard. And even just listening to you talk, I'm like, it's so ridiculous what we have to oh go God. through. Like you're sitting there going, I need to look after myself so I can look after you. Yes. But if you're not letting me look after myself, then how am I meant to look after you? But I have to look after you, but I'm not looking after myself. Oh. And it's just like such a mind yeah. game, isn't it? Like it's a minefield. And no wonder, I mean, I had both pre and postnatal depression. Yeah. I wonder why, exactly. right? Like it, it, it's enough to just tip you over the edge mm-hmm. and particularly you know, I'm type A, get shit done kind of human being. So you got the baby too. And you're like, okay, I can handle this. I can do this. I mean, I'll follow the book and I'll follow the, you know, and it will be fine. And then when you're not achieving the goal, because you're dealing with an independent human and then you're not sleeping and then you're starting to doubt your gut (laughs) instinct and all of the things we just (laughs) spoke about, it is just such a minefield. Isn't it crazy? It's ridiculous. And I remember like having to adjust to you know, like for example, like I would clean the house, you know, one top to bottom one day a week. And then I had a baby and I yeah. tried to like maintain that. And I was constantly getting angry and frustrated because I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't even do this. And then this, you know, oh, yes. and then I had to just really, I think it's changing our, it, it, it teaches you a lot of lessons, right? Or just a lot of life yeah. skills to manage expectations, being able to fleet between things and go, okay, that's all right. Like I've halfway through this, but I'm going to have to leave it. And, you know, rather than because else it just does feed onto your parenting and then you become this angry person and, um, that's not what, who you want to really be. Um, so it is very much, um, realizing that, yeah, you know, you are much more needed for everything than you were before. How can we manage this realistically without losing our minds? So I think, I think, um, knowing, you know, and that's what I love working with families with sleep because, Mm -hmm. you know, I see families that have, have put up with it for so long, like, and they're that Mm -hmm. sleep deprived. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what really breaks my heart. Cause I think, you know, I know how that feels. I know those feelings of sleep deprivation and yes, we're going to, always have wakeful moments as parents, but there gets a, there's a point, right? And it's like, if you're waking yeah. two hourly for six months straight, nah, oh. like you, there's something we yeah. can do about that. And there's definitely tools and support out there that can help navigate. So yeah, I think it just has such a, we always almost forget how important sleep is for our health yeah. and Yes. It, it it sort of supports our concentration, like how we function, mm. like our self-worth. It's just it's just such a crucial basic human need that we yes. sometimes always push to a side. And yes. yeah, it's it's, it's important it's, as eating, you know, it's really yeah. or drinking. It's just really along that lines and it's right up there that needs to be in the forefront. And it does, it just has a snowball mm. effect on everything else. Um, yes, yeah. oh, 100%. And honestly, thank goodness for, you know, businesses like yourselves who are out there trying to support us parents because, you know, we need you. Yeah. I think, I don't think there's one family I know that's like, oh, yes, sleep. Happy days. I mean, actually, no, I'll correct myself. I've got some friends at the moment who have little, like couple of month old children and they're like, oh yeah, sleep. 
keep it sweet. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Enjoy it while it lasts. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, talk to me when they're four and then tell me that they were a unicorn sleeper for four yeah. years and then we can have a champagne over that. Yeah. Not after four months of having a perfect sleep. Yeah. Oh. So everyone has difficulties yeah. eventually, right? I mean, not to scare those who, no. are, who believe they have unicorn sleepers, but, you know, and some will experience more hardships than others. Yeah. But ultimately, this is where I think, you know, businesses like yourselves are just so, so critical for, for our children and more importantly for us as parents yeah. in, in a really tough time, of which what can be a tough time of our lives when we are not sleeping. Yeah. Um, just on that, I would love you to tell um, those listening a little bit more about how they can find out uh, more about you. Yeah, so um, my website is sleepthrivegrow.com. Um, you can check me out on Instagram as well, which is sleep underscore thrive underscore grow. And there's lots of useful free info, crazy reels, but stuff that's really going to help guide you in your parenting, or maybe there's an issue that you really relate to. Um, Facebook as well. But yeah, and um, I've got a lot of range of packages because I know for a lot of people, sometimes it's just all they need is a phone call. And other times it's actually working together for like a two week support package. So sometimes, you know, I just have these clients that just check in every few months and they're like, okay, I'm going through this, you know, rather than just sitting there getting stressed out about it, they just act on it and go, cool, awesome, great. Thanks, Jen. I've got this info now. So I think it's really useful to have a range of support that people need because we're all very different. We're not all made the same. Our babies are all different. So yeah, I do like to cater and have that range of support that people can access. Yeah, I love that. And I'll pop those details in the episode notes as well. Thank you so much again, Jen, for your time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Netflix on the show. It sucks. It sucks sharing custody of your kids. It is that, that for me was harder than any part of the divorce. Until next time. Thanks for listening. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging.